I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, and I am a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I am Ian Rowe, a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And we are the hosts of the podcast, Are You Kidding Me? So welcome to today's show. Yeah, I'm excited because today we have a special guest. We have Sarah Walzer, who's the CEO of a phenomenal organization called Parent Child Plus. Sarah comes to us because, as many of our listeners might know, I run a network of public charter schools in New York City that go from kindergarten through eighth grade. And anyone who runs elementary and middle schools knows that for many kids entering kindergarten, you're playing academic catch-up from the very beginning because so many kids are coming into kindergarten with vocabulary deficits or they haven't had positive settings in terms of early education. And so we actually started pre-K, which was really powerful. We started getting our kids at four years old. But even then, we saw that kids were still not really prepared. And so we started seeking out ways to get access to our younger siblings that we knew were ultimately going to be coming to our schools. So we started to do research on trying to find great organizations that engage kids potentially as young as 18 months old, particularly around literacy. And I discovered Parent Child Plus, this fantastic organization. So, Sarah, welcome from New York. Tell us a little bit about what Parent Child Plus does. Thank you, Ian. So, Parent Child Plus addresses exactly the issue that you just highlighted. And that is for decades, folks talked about if only we had pre-K, kids coming into kindergarten would be more ready. And then we started pre-K and we discovered as you and I might have predicted, that you have just as many children coming into pre-K not ready to be there. And that's because of the critical things that happen in those zero to three years, the brain development that's happening, all of the things that are required in a child's development to be successful in order for them to enter a pre-K classroom and then a kindergarten classroom and then move on through elementary school on a pathway to success. So Parent Child Plus is focused on making sure that we work with children and their parents together in their homes before they enter any classroom to make sure the child has the skills that they need to navigate the ladder of academic success. And I think the critical piece here is this is about parents working with parents and children together. Parents are the person who spends not only the most time with a child in their zero to three years, but in fact, all the way through their education, you know, through 12th grade. Majority of your hours are spent outside of school. So that home environment and those parents and arming them with the knowledge, skills, and materials that they need to help their child be on that track to academic success. It's critical. and it's I think critical I just want to interrupt happens. for a second, Sarah, because I, yeah. I think that, you know, a lot of people lose sight of that. We, we lose sight of just how important the influence of the parents are. I think even a lot of parents sort of lament about, you know, how much influence the peers have and the schools have and every other institution. But fundamentally, when it comes to the amount of time that is spent with a child, it, it is really the, the parent in, in almost all households that's going to have the most influence. And even if you look at surveys of, you know, older kids, when they ask, we ask them about like where they take their views of things, most kids still say it's their parents' views that they've actually adopted. You're absolutely right. And that's why both for the children and the parents, this intervention at this early point is so critical because in those zero to three years, I think there are two things going on. One is the brain development of the child, all of those synapses that are going to be stronger and more robust, the more language and the more verbal exchange and the more interaction and attachment the child has to their parent or whoever the primary caregiver is. But the other thing is that in that point in life, 
parents are poised to set their child on a pathway to success. They know this is their chance and they want their child to do better than they did as they move through the world. Many of the parents we work with have experienced that negative academic outcomes. They had bad experiences in school. They went to school not prepared and saw what that did to them. They may have older children who went to school not prepared and saw what that did to them. So if we can reach them at this critical point. Yeah, we could give them another another chance at this. Yeah. And and Sarah, to tell me, how does it actually work? You, there's someone that actually goes into the home. How do you build that level of trust? Great question. So yes, there is someone who goes into the home 92 times over a 46-week period to work one-on-one with that primary caregiver and the child. And we build that trust, I think, in two ways. One is we bring a gift of a book or a toy each week that is the curricular material for the week. And those are those materials are critical. We want those materials in the hands of these children before they enter school. And they also build that sense of with the family, that we're really valuing them, that we're bringing them this treasure for their child, often the first book that child has owned, and often the first book in the home. And the second thing is who is doing the visiting. So our visitors, we call them early learning specialists, are people from the community. They share a community, a culture, a linguistic background with the family that makes them trusted from the moment they knock on the door. And then I guess there's actually a third thing that happens, and that is when you work with someone twice a week for 46 weeks, 92 times, there's a relationship that gets built there. When they see that, unlike so many other things in their lives, this person is going to show up at exactly the time they said they were going to show up with that book or toy and sit down on the floor with them in their apartment, in their homeless shelter, in wherever they are currently living, and spend time modeling reading conversation and play activities that build their child's school readiness skills. They're going to be a team with that parent, and that builds enormous trust. That's incredible, Sarah. I mean, the anecdotal evidence, even from within our network, when we partner with Parent Child Plus, there is that bond. And the parent really remarks at how much better they've become in it becoming what we call the at-home reading coach for their younger sibling. But even we found that for the older siblings that are already in our schools, the parents are more engaged from a literacy perspective there. Are you finding that in general as well? Yes, we find that Everywhere we work in the 15 states we're in across the country, exactly those things. And it's sort of this sequence of outcomes. It's a change in the parents' interaction and early literacy work and early numeracy work with that, what we would call the target child, that 18-month to 3-year-old. It's a change in the way they interact with the other children in the home and how they feel confident and competent in supporting that child academically. And the third piece is it's a change in the way they think about themselves and their own educational trajectory. So we see parents going back and getting their GEDs. We see them going to job training programs. And 30% of our early learning specialists are parents who go through the program as parents who then apply, get trained, and get hired to work for the program. So we have this additional wonderful workforce development role that we know is powerful for communities. It's really interesting because I think a lot of people think of this, the parent-child teaching, as something that happens very naturally and not something that you have to teach parents how to do, how to interact with their child. But I think it 
comes more naturally for some people than others. I mean, I, I remember having my first child and, and I remember all the advice about how you're supposed to talk to them all the time. And, and I always felt like, well, this is sort of weird. I'm in the house alone with like a two month old and I'm supposed to be sort of continuously engaged in this monologue. And I think some, for some people that comes naturally. And for me, I thought, oh my gosh, I haven't said anything in a while. I should really <laughs> right. say something. But I think, you know, especially for parents who haven't grown up in a home where there's a lot of that interaction and conversation that contributes to these better educational outcomes. It's definitely useful to teach that. But the other thing I think that happens when you have this attitude that it just comes naturally is that then you tend to sort of give up on the parent as teacher. Right. You sort of say, well, these people are not capable. You know, what we should really be doing is getting these kids as quickly as possible into a high quality daycare setting, because then we can sort of let the professionals have at it. And I think, you know, that's where, unfortunately, I think a lot of our political conversation around the issue of early childhood is right now, which is, you know, how can we get universal daycare? How can we sort of expand Head Start? But unfortunately, you know, the results of those programs have been quite mixed. And I think one of the things that they've really neglected is the potential for parents to do a lot of this, you know, if they understood the right way to do it. Yeah. I mean, Sarah, is there this tension because of what you're describing is so exciting, but the focus on building the parents' capacity is what seems to be so central here. You know, in New York City, there's a big push for 3K for all which is another center-based program where, you know, a parent has to bring a child to a school or some other setting. What do you think? Is there, is there competition between these two ideas? It seems that building the capacity of parents has a distinct advantage in what you're describing versus the traditional center-based approach. Well, I think, I think two things. I think, one, if there is a competition, then it's people who don't understand early childhood or parent-child relationships at all. Because in fact, regardless of whether the child is in center-based care, and, and let's, you know, let's be clear, lots of children are in center-based care because their parents are working and their parents need to be working to support their families. But it, that's really not the issue. The issue is that just as we started off with, parents are still the primary educational support force role model in their children's lives and the person the kids spend the most time with. And so regardless of whether a child may also be in a child care or, you know, family child care, center-based care, Head Start setting, we also need to be supporting and building that parent-child relationship because what's happening at home, if the child's in care and it's not reinforcing what's happening in care, or if the child is with the parent or another primary caregiver like a grandparent, full time until they walk into a 4K classroom, we need to be supporting that home environment. And what what I think as a country we have neglected is the power of parents and the support they need, which in fact is really pretty minimal. And, and you know, to your earlier points, the fact of the matter is that A, kids don't come with a manual and B, all of us had very different parenting experiences that may not have given us a model for the importance of reading, talking, and playing with your child and how all of that builds school readiness skills. And lots of us need more guidance on why play is so important for building the social-emotional skills that are what enable kids to function in a classroom, things like taking turns and self-regulation. And without knowing what you should be doing with your child at home to to build and reinforce those skills. You and your child are going to miss out and we have done nothing to support that for families as a country. I was going to ask you, Sarah, what 
something that I've, I've written about a little bit in the past and I'm interested in still is the question of, of technology and how screens are affecting parenting. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how parents are using screens to sort of entertain their kids and how you deal with that when you're going into the home. Sure. So I think two things. One is, yes, families are using screens. They use them to entertain kids. They use them because a parent has a lot of other things they need to do at home, particularly when they've been working and they come home and they need to do laundry and you know make meals and help older kids with homework and whatever else is going on. And the screen does become a preoccupier. But I think it also gets a little over-exaggerated because, in fact, families have been using television like that for decades in exactly the same way. And it has been a long-standing policy of Parent Child Plus that when we come in to do the visit, one of the things we do in agreement with the family about what's going to happen, your early learning specialist is going to show up on time and with these materials and do this with you. And you're going to, it used to be, you're going to turn off the TV. And so I, it's, you're going to turn off the TV and the computer and you're going to put your phone away. Right. And I, I was told that the early learning specialist actually calls 30 minutes before the visit to the parent to say, make sure all the devices are off yep. so that when they get to the home, there isn't a negotiation going on with the child. Right. And the yeah. child presumably will not then associate and the parent will not then associate like this visit with the with. screaming fit that will happen when you <laughs> right. turn off the Or the, the kid goes, are you iPad. kidding me? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's a great point. And they call or they text, exactly. But one of the things we find is that the more other tools you give a family, art materials, books, to engage with, yeah. the family will self-report that they've started to decrease their screen time. That in, at bedtime, instead of watching a YouTube video on our phone, we're reading a book because now the child is asking to be read to. Because in fact, reading with an adult is one of it, the it, best experiences of a young child's certainly life. Certainly, my children would say that too. about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, t- Sarah, out loud to my children until they were in sixth grade, and some of it was for them, but some of it was for me. Of right? course, warm, snuggly person next to you oh. wants to be read to is the greatest. Oh, this thing is lovely. Right. And we're enabling parents and children to discover the joy of that and giving them the material to do that with. And and I think the one other thing is let's none of us should pretend that screens are going to go away or disappear from lives. But the other way in which that work with the early learning specialist can be valuable is by helping steer parents to, here are some good things you can do on a screen with your child. And when your child is on a, is using a screen, they should be doing it with you, not by themselves. So here's here's a really good interactive letter or math game that you two can play together as opposed to you know, having your child just watch video. Yeah, yeah that's one of yeah. the things that people don't don't notice about when they do the studies about, you know, how Sesame Street or something else like helped kids learn. A lot of the times it was because they were sitting there watching Sesame Street with an adult who was talking to them that's about correct. what was going on on the screen. And we can't just sort of plop the child down and expect them to get all this themselves. So, Sarah, one of the things that, again, impressed me when I was discovering PC Plus was the fact that you've been around for 50 years. So can you talk about some of the longitudinal results you've seen? Because oftentimes when you hear comparisons to pre-K, you know, people criticize like, eh, maybe there's a bump initially, but the effects dissipate over time. Have you seen that with the Parent Child Plus results? So we have not seen the effects dissipate. It is one of the wonderful things, thank you, about having been around for over 50 years is we do have multiple longitudinal studies, both that have looked at 
children who've been in our program in third grade and documented that we continue to see them performing above their peers. And in fact, what we're seeing most recently in two recent studies is that our children are performing above the state average in math, both in Washington state and in New York state, which is really exciting because, you know, as you introduced us, we have not historically thought of ourselves as also being a numeracy program. But one of the things about building language literacy skills is that's what you need to be successful in third grade math is the ability to read. We have, for full documentation purposes, we do have one longitudinal study that followed a five-year cohort of kids through high school graduation and showed that they graduated from high school at the rates of middle-class kids nationally. It was 30% higher graduation rate than the control group in the community and and 20% higher than the national graduation rate for low income. And that is defined for the purposes of most of our work as Title I eligible children. That's great. So how do we make this happen more places? And how, do, What's how your, much does it cost? How much does it cost? Yeah, let's get down to brass tacks. Where does your funding come from? No, we, we would like to find out kind of what your what your hopes are, hopes and dreams are for the future and, and how feasible it's going to be to replicate. Sure. So start with cost because that's always the bottom line. It costs on average about $4,000 per family per year. And Think about that, obviously, as it varies around the country based on cost of living and et cetera in various parts of the country. But that's our average cost. It is funded by a diverse array of funding streams. So everything from state and local home visiting funding to early literacy funding in a lot of places to Title I dollars in many places to more innovative sources of funding. We do a lot of co-locating with housing authorities and have been part of support that housing authorities have to support and stabilize families residing in their buildings, to support from children's trust funds because of the work that we're doing building parent-child attachment that is is also a protective factor against abuse hmm. and neglect. So we see funding coming from through the child welfare system. And then we have a lot of innovative partnerships that we hope will lead to significant expansion. And, and so our partnership with the public network is one of those. We would love to see that build out with other schools and networks. We have similar kinds of partnerships with school districts where the program is actually embedded by, you know, what I would describe as forward-thinking school districts that understand if they work with families before they ever enter one of their classrooms and in exactly the way Ian has described it, this is going to benefit not only that child and that classroom at pre-K and kindergarten entry, it's going to benefit the school all the way through. And one of the key ways it does this is that we see significant reductions both in kindergarten and in third grade in both places where studies have looked at it in the number of children who are in need of special education services. And then we know that for all schools and school districts, special ed is one of the highest cost services they need to provide. And if by working with families early, by connecting them to the resources they need, by enriching that home environment, we can ensure that a whole host of children do not need special ed services. That is... Yeah, that's a lot of money. able to think about it long term and budget beyond a one-year school district budget, that's a huge cost savings to districts, and that is the kind of funding that should be... Being so great. Start early with the end in mind. A lot of money, a lot of heartache. Yes, you can yeah, save Yeah, but imagine lot. all the things that you can do to, yeah. to avoid all of these issues yeah. in the first place. Well, Absolutely. Sarah, thank you for great, yeah. great information. Yeah, it's nice to have a conversation with somebody who says they're serving children or are actually serving children. So, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, <laughs> 
I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, and I am a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm Ian Rowe, a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And uh, we hope you will join us again for another episode of Are You Kidding Me? You can find it at AEI's website or wherever you get your podcast. It's released the second and fourth Wednesday of every month. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.